0: Well, hey, welcome to the crossing. So good to see you today. And uh, let me tell you, it is good to be back here. I had a few weeks off this summer. And I had the opportunity to go to the North American Christian Convention one week, went on vacation a couple weeks, and so it's it's just a nice opportunity for me to unplug and to renew spiritually and physically and emotionally, and just grateful for our elders who allow me to do that every year, and grateful for the best church staff in the country that we never skip a beat here during the summer. And in fact, because of you, we had the greatest summer we've ever had here at the Crossing, and I missed most of it. Which just tells you how dispensable I really am to this place around here. And so it's good to be back and glad that you are here. Well, when I was growing up, my next-door neighbor decided to build a fence between our house and their house. And as they were building the fence, they put the bad side of the fence towards us. Now, I don't know if you know fence-building etiquette, but this is against fence-building etiquette. You're supposed to put the bad side towards you, the good side towards your neighbor, not so much. They put the bad side towards us, and it was my first experience with a wall. When I lived in St. Louis, all of our backyards were all open and connected. You could run from one side of the block to the other in the backyard, and so the backyards became the playground for all of the kids in the neighborhood. And then we moved to Vegas. Vegas. And every house has a concrete block wall. When I moved here, somebody said, well, it comes from California. Like, that explains it. What, do people in California not talk to each other? I mean, what's that have to do with anything? The guy behind me in our first house that we had here in Vegas, he actually built the wall two feet higher. And I wanted to go over to him and say, do you have a problem with us? I mean, do you hate looking down on our house, but the wall was too high, so I was never able to have a conversation with him? But what's true in our society is we are prone to building walls. We tend to build walls between people who are different than us. And one of the walls that has gotten a little higher this summer is the racial wall. And today we're concluding our series we've been calling Risk It. And we started off with the idea of talking about risking to share your faith. And then last week we talked about taking the risk to be in community, to be in relationships. Well, today I want to talk about taking the risk to lead the way in racial reconciliation. It used to be that we would have a major racial tension about every 10 years. There was the Watts riots. There was the LA riots in the 90s. There was Hurricane Katrina. And then in the past few years, it's hit us about every 10 months. There was Florida and Ferguson and Baltimore but these days, it feels like we have a major event about every 10 days. And our nation is desperate for healing. And the church cannot be silent to this issue. See, racism, racism is not a problem of skin. Racism is a problem of sin. And the government cannot solve this problem. Only the church can solve this problem because we're in the life change business. This is part of what Jesus came to do was to bring us together in unity. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 7, says this. It says, Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or impartiality or bribery. We know what bribery is. But it says, with our God, there is no injustice, that God is a just God. And in fact, the words justice and righteousness in the Bible, it's the same word. To be righteous is to be just. Micah 6.8, it's a scripture that many of us here at the Crossing have on our shirts. It's been one of the theme verses for our outreach where it says this, What does the Lord require of you? To do justice. To act justly. See, with God, there is no injustice or partiality. What is partiality? Well, partiality is an old English word for racism or prejudice. Partiality is when you show favoritism for one group over another, and God says, I don't like that. That's not the heart of God. See, race was God's idea. God has never made a person that he does not love. And God has never made a person in whom Jesus did not die for. God loves color. God loves diversity. I mean, you look down your row. There is not a single person who has the exact same skin pigment that you do because God loves variety and diversity. And racial reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. And this is not a minor issue. It's one of the things that Jesus came to do for us. And it's at the heart of the gospel and how we treat other people is at the heart of God. Racism is perhaps the biggest issue of our day. And there is no way that I can address this entire topic in the next 30 minutes. There's no way that we're going to be able to solve it this morning. And I don't see today as a period. I see it as a comma. It's beginning the conversation. It's for us to start this conversation that we need to have. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 10. Let me give you a little bit of background about what's happening here in Acts chapter 10. Acts is the history of the church after Jesus rose from the dead and was ascended into heaven. Acts is just the history of how the church began. And although Jesus told his disciples to go, they primarily stayed close to home. And the church in Jerusalem had explosive growth. It was the first mega church that existed. There was thousands who were coming to faith, and it led to this inward focus. And at this point, in Acts chapter 10, the church is about 10 years old, and the message of Christ has never gone beyond anyone besides the Jews. And in Acts chapter 10, God sends an angel to a Gentile by the name of Cornelius, And this angel comes to Cornelius and he says, God has heard your prayers. And he tells him to send for the apostle Peter. He says, Peter will tell you what to do. Peter will tell you how to be saved. The only problem is, is Cornelius was a Gentile. And the Jews would never associate with Gentiles. For Peter, racism ran deep. If a Gentile walked into your house, you were to burn it down because the entire house was considered unclean. Racism was just a part of their culture. Well, at the same time that God is speaking to Cornelius, God speaks to Peter in a dream. And he shows Peter all of these animals that were unclean to the Jewish people. And he tells Peter, I want you to get up, kill, and eat. Have a ham sandwich. Have bacon with your eggs. It's okay. And Peter begins to argue with God. He says, I would never eat anything unclean. And you can hear the self-righteousness coming out of him. I would never do that, God. But God says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And God wasn't just talking about food. God was talking about people. God was trying to clear this out of Peter's heart. We're going to pick up the story here in Acts chapter 10 and verse 23. It says this, it says, the next day, Peter started out with them. These Gentile people had come from Cornelius. They spent the night in Peter's house, which would have been unheard of. It says, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them Had called together his relatives and close friends. And Cornelius had this great big room full of everybody he's connected to. And Peter entered the house. Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew, look at this, to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent me? Well, God is beginning to deal with Peter's prejudice. God is beginning to do that heart work in him. And Peter begins to talk to Cornelius. And he goes into his house and both were were forbidden for a Jew. Not from God. These were Jewish rules that they came up with. This is not God's rules. But a good Jew would never go into the house of a Gentile, much less associate one with one. And Cornelius tells Peter his story about how this angel had come to him and told him to send for Peter. Verse 34, it says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus is that peace that takes down that dividing wall, that dividing wall of hostility between people, that Jesus is the peace that brings that wall down. Well, at this point, you would think that that everyone would be happy that the Gentiles are now included that everyone would be happy that that they're a part of this, but it's never that simple. In Acts chapter 11, Peter goes back home and the Jewish Christian buddies, his buddies come along and they criticize him. They go, not only did you go into his house, but you ate with them. What were you thinking? Listen, anytime you lead the way in breaking down walls, you will be criticized. Anytime that you're going to begin to build a wall, a bridge between someone who is not like you, you're going to be criticized. And you would think that Peter, whose nickname is The Rock, I mean, when your nickname is The Rock, that means something, right? I mean, he can just snap you like a twig. I mean, this is The Rock. You wouldn't think that criticism would bother The Rock. But in Galatians chapter 2, He's hanging out with the Gentiles. He's eating pork chops with them and he's having a good time. And his Jewish Christian buddies show up again and they begin to criticize him for hanging out. And his racism kicks back in. And he pulls away from the table and he stops associating with them. He gets away from them. And the Apostle Paul comes and he confronts his sin. And the Apostle Paul says, to Peter, he says, you are not in step with the truth of the gospel. You are out of step with the truth of the gospel. Well, in, in chapter 11, verse 19, goes on. It says this. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word, look at this, only among the Jews. You would think that after chapter 10, when the gospel finally went to the first Gentile, that people would start to open up. But no, it was still closed. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And look how it summarizes this passage, verse 26. It says, The disciples were called Christians, first at Antioch the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch the book of Acts is, is the beginning of the church it's how the church began and in Acts chapter 2 the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to communion and prayer they came together and they had everything in common but they weren't called Christians yet in Acts chapter 4 the believers were one in heart and mind No one claimed that any of his possessions were their own, and they shared with anyone who had need, but they weren't called Christians yet. In Acts chapter 6, we have the first deacons, that's just servants, where they begin to have this strategy to take care of people's needs. The widows were not being cared for, and so they brought these servants to to begin to take care of the needs of the widows, but they were not called Christians yet. In Acts chapter 9, the greatest force in Christianity would be one to Christ. Saul of Tarsus has an encounter with Jesus Christ and he becomes the Apostle Paul. But they weren't called Christians yet. It is not until the gospel becomes multi-ethnic and multicultural that they were called Christians. We are almost halfway through the book of Acts before it dawns on our heroes that God does not show favoritism. The gospel is for everyone. Here's my take. My take is that there are two conversions in this story. The first conversion is Cornelius and his family. That they come to faith in Jesus Christ. That they accept the forgiveness of Christ in their life. But I think perhaps the bigger conversion that happens in this story is Peter in his heart. Because Peter would have never accepted Cornelius, but God changed his heart. And I wonder if God wants to change some hearts in this room today. If God wants to begin to do a work in us. Let me tell you what the goal is. This is what it's going to be at the end in heaven. Here's the goal. It's Revelation chapter 7, where it says this. It says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is a picture of heaven, and in heaven, it is every nation, every race, every people, every language, all together as one, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a direct result of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. The night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus prayed for several groups, and then he prayed for you, and you want to know what he prayed for you and me? He prayed that we would be one. He prayed that we would be in complete unity. And when we begin to come together in complete unity, this is what will bring credibility to the church. This is what will make the church credible in our time and in our age. Here's this big idea of today. It's just this. It's to tear down a wall and build a bridge. It's to tear down a wall and build a bridge. The first part of this is to tear down a wall. That you have to confront your own prejudice. Jesus, uh, Peter said, I now realize that God does not show favoritism. Have you had that realization yet? See, it's pretty easy to accept people who are like us, but it is completely different to accept people who are different from us. Where have you built a wall? It's time to tear down a wall. It is time to tear down some walls, but we have to do more than just tear down a wall. You have to build a bridge. And for Peter, it was one thing to confront his feelings of racism. It was quite another thing for him to go to Cornelius. To go to Cornelius and begin to build this bridge through Jesus Christ. That we have to build a bridge. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I've got two things. Here's the first, is that we must engage in the conversation. We must engage in this conversation This is what Peter did. God opens his eyes so he begins to see people the way that God sees them. And it changes everything. He engaged in the conversation. He goes to Cornelius. And as followers of Jesus, we have to engage in the conversation. We have to. It doesn't mean that you agree with everyone. But you learn to listen with respect. Look what it says in James chapter 1. James, the brother of Jesus, says it like this. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I love what Oprah Winfrey said this week. She said that she's always talked about diversity. And she says that a better word is inclusion. And I think she's right. I think she's exactly right. That is at the heart of the gospel, that everyone is included, that everyone belongs. See, that's why one of our values here at the crossing is that you come as you are. That everybody belongs. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says this. It says, show proper respect to the people who deserve it. Okay, it doesn't say that. <laughs> show proper respect to those who agree with you. Show proper respect to those in your political party. Okay, I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) Show proper respect to who? Everyone. Show proper respect to everyone that we are not going to reach our world through obnoxious Facebook posts. It's not the way we're going to do it. And in a world that is becoming more and more hostile to Christianity... The way that we begin to build a bridge is that we listen with respect. We become part of the conversation. Let me give you a couple tips on this. The first, it's to listen to their hurt, not their words. Listen to their hurt, not their words. In anger, people say things that they don't mean and they wish they could take them back. If you've ever been married, you know this is true because you have done this. You've said things you wish you could take back. Listen to their hurt, not their words. Second thing, some of you just need to write this down. Learn to use the phrase, tell me more. Tell me more. You, that When you learn to be a listener, you become a learner. And we must engage in this conversation. Begin to listen with respect. Here's the second thing. We must engage in the community. We must engage in the community. My sister-in-law says this. My sister-in-law says it's hard to hate up close. Isn't that great? So true. Because when you begin to get involved in people's lives, it begins to take down walls. It begins to build bridges. It changes everything. Today is our Reach Sunday. Today is one of those days where we are shining a light on our local partners. And the reason we're doing this is because we want you to serve our local partners. Because we feel like when we become the hands and feet of Jesus in our community, it offers credibility for people to be able to hear the words that we say, to be able to talk about Jesus. We want you to be involved with our community partners. The reason why we don't start ministries all over the city so we can put our name on it is we wanted to come along people who are already on the ground doing it well to come alongside them, to give them resources, to bring partners to them. And we are featuring them today. They're out in our lobby. We would love for you to get involved with them, to get involved with their ministry. Because we begin to break down the walls and build a bridge when we serve, when we just roll up our sleeves in the name of Jesus and serve people. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. This is a completely different standard. You don't get to love the people that you want to love. You gave up that right when you became a follower of Christ. You gave up that right. We are commanded to love people the way that Jesus loves them. To tear down a wall and to build a bridge. Look at the way that the Apostle Paul summarizes this in Galatians chapter 3. He says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What brings us all together as followers of Christ, it's our faith, it's our baptism. He says, you were all baptized into Christ. Our baptism is what unites us. That is what brings us together. Here's my heart. My heart is that we would be a church that reflects the heart of God. And one of the things that I am most proud of, of the crossing, is we are becoming this diverse, inclusive, multi-ethnic, multi-racial church. We are black and white, Asian and Hispanic, all together in the name of Jesus because it's Jesus who brings us together. And the government is not going to fix this problem. Only the church can fix this problem. Only the church through the power of Jesus Christ can fix this problem. And my heart goes out to our law enforcement community as well. You've been asked to do an impossible job with incredible scrutiny. And to all of our law enforcement and to the family of our law enforcement, we honor you. We honor you. Thank you for putting your life on the line every day to protect and to serve. I cannot imagine trying to do your job in today's climate. And as part of tearing down a wall and building a bridge, we have to have some conversations. And I've invited two people to come to help us in this conversation. I've invited Brandon Watts and Jim Seabach to come and, and to join us. Would you just give them a hand as they come right now? Well, guys, thank you for uh, being here and being a part of this discussion. And so just tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Uh, my name is Jim Seabach. Thanks for having me here, by the way. Absolutely. And uh, allow me to share some personal perspective. I'm a captain of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. I've been with Metro for 23 years. Thank you. Uh, my current assignment is I'm over at the Training Bureau, our training academy. I'm married for just 20 years last Wednesday, and I have a
2: twin nine-year-old boy girls at home.
0: Fantastic.
2: I'm Brandon Watts, uh, lead pastor of Epiphany Church, Brooklyn. Uh, I've been married for 14 years, just made 14 years, two weeks ago. I have two boys. Uh, My oldest is 13. He's actually here with us today, Brandon. And my youngest is 10. His name is Jeremy, and uh, he's home with mama.
0: And what you may not know yes, is we have partnered with Epiphany Church with Brandon in New York, and so part of your giving goes to help start this brand new church in, in Brooklyn. And so, Brandon, would you tell us about your church in Brooklyn and tell sure. us what caused you to, to plant a church there?
2: Sure. And let, let, me, let me take this opportunity to say thank you to you, Shane, and to Lee as well, and uh, for orchestrating such a beautiful partnership. And to the Crossings Church, your, your resources uh, are, are being stewarded to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. So thank you, guys, and, and thanks for having me here as well. Um, yeah, you can clap. That's cool. You <laughs> can do that. Our church is planted in, uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn is made up of over 80 distinct different neighborhoods. One of the neighborhoods our heart felt drawn to is a neighborhood called Bedford-Stuyvesant. Uh, the reason our heart felt drawn there is because it, it's about 85% minority, um, which means it's really the inner city. I wake up every morning, we joke around about this uh, since I got in yesterday. I wake up every morning to the fresh smell of, of someone smoking weed uh, right outside of my house, uh, and, and so this is a, a, a normal behavior for us, but he, here's the thing that we wanted to do. We, we didn't just want to plant a church in the neighborhood, but we wanted to plant our lives as well, and so most of the church members live in the inner city of Brooklyn, and my family and I chose to move out of the suburbs in, intentionally into that neighborhood just because we wanted to engage and under-engage population of minorities with the gospel message of Jesus Christ.
0: Love that. Very, very cool. <clears throat> Jim, you are the youngest captain in Metro, and so talk about your calling into law enforcement.
1: Well, yeah, obviously I started young, Uh, some people joke with me, well, they joke with me all the time about that, but I was fortunate right out of high school, I was able to hire on in a civilian position with Las Vegas Metro, so when I turned 21, uh, I went right into the police academy, and it gave me the opportunity, uh, where my heart is at, and I think that's where God has me, is to serve, give back, stick up for others, and uh, try to make a difference every day, so...
0: Well, in light, of, uh, in light of all the recent events that have been going on in our country, what frustrations have you guys felt that you wish other people could understand coming from your viewpoint?
2: I think one of the biggest frustrations that, that I felt, especially over the last several weeks, is... Um It's just the immaturity of the church. And when I say the church, I mean the universal church, all the churches connected. Uh, I I think when these events happen, the the first thing we want to do is prove our point, right? We want to pick a side and and, and stick a, a stake in the ground and say, man, this is my position on it, instead of... Um, you, you know, being empathetic in those moments. And so I, I think the church has, in these moments, the immaturity of the church has constantly been exposed. Things like what we're doing today is great ways to, to really get introduced to the conversations and have these uncomfortable conversations. But th- this is an important part, and this helps the church to continue to mature and to grow.
1: Mm-hmm. And from a frustration point from uh, law enforcement, it, it is, and it, let me be clear, the deaths that we saw uh, by, by, that, that occurred to everybody is tragic. Someone's lost a father, someone's lost a brother, someone's lost a son. Uh, lives are impacted when uh, the decision is deadly force. And it impacts everybody involved with in this. So that is just tragic in and of itself. And so that, to me, is frustrating that it's, it's come to that. Uh, the other part for me, from a law enforcement perspective, because the good work in men and women in Metro, uh, when stuff like that happens, no matter where it's at, it, it impacts us. And when you see people are rushed to judgment or you push it out on social media, uh, let the investigation take its course and, and see what happens because, uh, you know, police, they're human, uh, but they're also capable of making mistakes. And as much as I pride myself uh, in, in what we do, uh, we also have to recognize that, you know, sometimes uh, decisions uh, were, were not
0: good. So, and you guys have, in Metro, are doing some proactive things. Tell us about some of the proactive things sure. that you're doing. You bet.
1: And I, I think uh, your, your uh, community here or your membership here should be proud of uh, the, the police department they have uh, I think what sets Metro apart differently is that we listen to our community. Uh, We're reaching out more than ever uh, throughout my career, but under the the leadership of the sheriff uh, and and all that we do to where we're uh, focused on interaction with the community. Uh, Consistent, positive police community interaction is gonna build that legitimacy. It's gonna build that trust. Uh, We have programs such as Rebuilding Every City Around Peace, which partners with our faith-based community members uh, to work alongside Metro. Body-worn cameras uh, addressing uh, deadly force and being transport parent in all that we do. We're the first, and I'm proud because I'm at the academy, but we're the first police department uh, in the country to put body-worn cameras on our officers in the academy to help build some of that trust, that transparency. And so it's all those things that I believe are, are making a big difference. So.
0: Brandon, I listened to your message you gave a couple weeks ago, your church, and where you addressed this. Sure. And this is personal for you. Yeah. Tell me about some of the experiences that you have had.
2: Yeah, it, it is personal. You know, it's easy to look at these situations and think they're isolated. But for, for us, this, this is something that me particularly, I live, I live in on a consistent basis. I think the most impactful um, experience I had with racism was the first experience I had, which was eight years old. I mean, just imagine this at eight years old. I was playing football, uh, Pop Warner football for the Camp Lejeune Devil Pups. My father was in the military, so I was on the military base playing football. And uh, I go up to the referee, an older white guy, and tell him, hey, can you watch uh, one of the opposing team uh, members because he's grabbing my jersey. Just keep an eye on him. And when I do that, this older white gentleman grabs my face mask. I'm going to get a little explicit here. He grabs my face mask very gently and whispers into my ear and says, get away from me, nigger. This is the first. I mean, I didn't. In that moment, you don't know to be angry. You don't know to be upset. You don't know to be mad. The only thing I felt uh, was, man, I can't believe I feel like this because I'm an African American. I thought I did something wrong. Never even told my parents. Uh, and, and then through throughout life, I mean, just over and over instances where, uh, whether it was running with law enforcement, that just didn't go so well. Uh, one other one I want to bring up, because I think it's easy for us as the church in this conversation to say, well, that referee probably wasn't a believer, so that's not the church. But um, even within the church, when we went to plant our church, we uh, we looked out, we sought out for partnerships uh, to help us with resources to plant the church. And I went to one church in the South, a large evangelical church in the South, went there and went to one of their meetings they had, and they, they had a, a, a teaching on white privilege, and the pastor was teaching on this message. I was the only African American in the room, so that was already a little awkward for me, and he's teaching on white privilege, did a phenomenal job, great church, great pastor. At the, his, um, at the end of his teaching, him and I was just having a conversation. An older white gentleman comes up to me and wraps his arm around me and says, I guess I got to be nice to this black fella, huh? And I'm talking less than a year ago. And so for, for me, you know, I think of this like I can't play football as an eight year old or even plan a church without being reminded that I'm an African American. So, yeah, these are frustrating times, but this is very, very personal as you well. You
0: know, and it is personal. We were talking about last night at dinner. Um, a few weeks ago, I got a ticket. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you should have called Jim. Should right? have called Jim. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And my biggest concern when I got pulled over is that somebody from the church would see me pulled over. <laughs> and I was mad about getting a ticket. And you said, I was happy when I get a ticket. Talk about that.
2: Yeah, it's true. I mean, when I get pulled over, getting a ticket is a great day for me. Um, I, I don't, I'm not upset about that moment at all. It's better than the alternative in my mind of not making it out of that situation. And so I have two boys that I have to have these conversations with consistently. Um, where, you, you know, you, you get pulled over and you have to have these conversations of it's more than just pull over enough to get out of the road. That's a part of the conversation. But the other part of it is you know, don't make any sudden moves. Keep your hands on the wheel. When I'm done with uh, with getting pulled over, my knuckles literally hurt because I'm glinching the wheel. I literally feel for my life in those in those moments. Um, and, and so, the, you know, this is, and you can sit any African American up here, and I think you'll probably hear a consistent story. And so, yeah, a ticket is a good day for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you,
1: and you'll see that. I mean, we're not tone deaf to those concerns, and again, what I say is what sets Metro apart is we're not afraid to engage in those conversations. We recognize there's uh, conscious and unconscious bias and if we identify someone in our department that is like that we get rid of them and stuff like that but that's where that interaction and hearing that no thanks so uh... but that's where Hearing stories such as that, it still happens locally, it, it's unacceptable, uh, but that's where we got to keep working and have well, a conversation. Well, like,
0: what's it like for you to do your job with the scrutiny that you're under in this climate that sure. we have right now?
1: Yeah, well, I'll say uh, right now, the job has completely changed since 23 years ago. What's asked of an officer is more than ever before, and, and I'm not here to ask for sympathy, uh, but I am asking for uh, that recognition or, or prayer, because... Uh, an officer nowadays they, they make a decision and it 's second guessed and it 's put out on, on blast on social media, which again is part of the job, uh, but they 're human and uh, we 're capable of making mistakes, but we 're willing to learn from them and get better but also an officer you know is, is picking up the gaps in, in the social work world uh, has to prevent and respond to terrorism, and even lately they 're being hunted down and so uh, to go out and stand before your community and to be that, that uh, Protector is what we're asking of our officers, though. Good uh, men and women in Metro do a
0: phenomenal job at that. Yeah, they do. Sometimes. They do. In 1967, Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. So how can we not fall silent as your friends?
1: Sure. So what I think on that, and I started mentioning it before, is uh, I, I firmly believe in the power of prayer. And that not only do our officers need prayer uh, each and every day, but our community does. Uh, prayer makes a difference, but I, I also ask for uh, action and have that conversation. Uh, listen to the Holy Spirit and engage your community because. Uh, Just like Las Vegas Metro, like I said, works with the faith base to build that bridge. Sometimes it's halfway, but if it needs to go three-quarters away, way, do it. But that is where I need everyone in here to step up. And I firmly believe that is one of the reasons why, because of our community, because of the work of the police department, that we haven't had some of those protests here. And so prayer, uh, action is the way forward. Brian, how about for you?
2: Yeah, I think silence is, a, is, a, is very troubling for, for the church to be silent. So that I'm, I'm glad you even bring this up. And this conversation is part of making the right steps into those conversations. I think empathy is always the appropriate first step for a conversation. I usually lean on Romans chapter 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. But it also says mourn with those who mourn. And so you know, when these situations happen, the first thing we want to do is prove our point instead of staying back and saying, you know what? Like Jim said earlier, a, a young man has lost his life. You know, That's someone's father, that's someone's brother. And, and, and whether that's an African-American man or the Dallas police officers who were shot, someone lost their life. Let's enter a season of mourning. And that's a good way to begin a conversation, not really with, let me prove my point uh, through social media, Joked around last night, I think social media is great um, really to push the, 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 the agenda of the church, but at the same time, it's one of the most dangerous parts of this situation because you you don't have to filter your thoughts anymore. You can just post something and it's out there. And so starting the conversation with empathy, is, I think, is an appropriate and, and way. And I think Brian is so right on that because,
1: uh, like I commonly say, the foundation of all relationships is trust.
2: And in order to have that
1: conversation, you've got to build that relationship up, build up that trust so you can have those conversations sure. he's talking about.
0: Well, as followers of Christ, and, and we come together following Jesus, as followers of Christ, how does the church begin to lead the way in reconciliation and to bring hope to a broken country that we have?
1: Uh, I, I believe that, that that is the only way uh, forward, to be honest with you. The church is making a difference. I mean, I get, again, that's why you see uh, Metro partnering with the faith-based organizations. But we also need to recognize that uh, what we're seeing, you know, nationwide... Uh, is displaying to people that we don't know where they're at in their walk. They might need to hear the gospel message, and we need to be able to deliver that. And the other thing, I, I, just like I don't like people making broad strokes about officers because of a few bad apples, we all have to recognize that some of those violent things we're seeing are also a result of a few bad apples, and not to paint a broad stroke over that community or, or that ethnic group uh, being responsible for it. And so, but at the end of the day, it's gonna be the church making the difference and making the impact. And
2: having
0: courage. You, you
1: bet. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: I, I, I think, you know, um, the church has to be the model. It's kind of just building on what Jim says. The church has to be the model. We cannot expect the world to get it right when the church doesn't even have it mm-hmm. uh, together. You know, you, you said it in your, your message you, you, when you talked about how this is a gospel issue, and it really is. When when Paul addressed Peter's hypocrisy in Galatians 2, he said, When I noticed that he was out of step with the truth of the gospel. And so we want to politicize this. This is not a political issue. This is not just a social issue. Uh, but really, the gospel is at stake here. This is a gospel issue and the church, which proclaims the gospel consistently, must be the the front runners to this thing. You know, when it comes to the civil rights movement, you know, one of the things I appreciated about the civil rights movement was that, that it was able to move laws and change laws. And so now I'm able to sit on any seat on the bus I want to. I'm able to drink from any water fountain I want to. I can go to any restaurant and sit anywhere I want to. And so praise God for the civil rights movement. But here's where it was weak. It was able to change laws, but it wasn't able to change hearts. So the gospel message is what changes Mm -hmm. hearts. And so the church must model this reconciliation well Mm -hmm. through the gospel
0: message.
2: Brandon is
1: uh, so spot on with that. The laws, the regulations, they're going to help, but it's, it's definitely a hard issue. What I try to tell people is you can either be comfortable or you can be courageous. When, that, when you're feeling that conviction to have that conversation, be courageous and have it. But have it with an open heart, an open mind. Don't come with a point of view and you want to try to convince the others. Just engage in the conversation and listen. Can, can,
2: I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go can I say one more thing about yes. you know that just that the courageous piece? That's so spot on because I think what what happens is we would rather be comfortable than be courageous. In order to be courageous, it's gonna be uncomfortable. This conversation. Is uncomfortable, but my hope and prayer uh, through the crossing and through these conversations is that we'll move this from the sanctuary to your living rooms and to your your dinner tables to where we're having these conversations on a consistent basis with people that don't look like us, that don't vote like us, that don't think like us, that look at the video and have a completely different perspective than us, but we're able to have and a conversation. Your church,
1: this conversation, Amen. this is courageous right here, Absolutely. and then and it's a starting point. And uh, I, I, I applaud you. For well,
0: it. here's what I want to do. We're gonna we're gonna pray together, and. We're going to pray together, and I want to pray over both of these guys. And, uh, and then we're going to sing a couple hymns together. And what my ask for you is, if you don't have to leave early, would you please just stay until we conclude this time? We just think this is an important moment. But would you just thank these guys for coming and their courage to share? Let's just stay standing and let's pray together. God, we thank you for being a God of reconciliation. And God, we pray for days where the church is the model and we're leading the way. God, thank you for Jim. God, thank you for every single law enforcement uh, person and family in this room. God, we pray that you would protect them. God, we honor them. And we pray that you'd give them wisdom as they are serving our community. And God, thank you for Brandon. Thank you for the courage of he and his family to to start a brand new church in Brooklyn. And God, we pray that as they're partnering with NYPD and they're partnering with their community, God, that you would bless them in amazing ways. God, give them courage to, to go forth with the gospel. And God, we pray for our country. God, we pray for healing. We pray that we can be part of the answer. And we ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.